And before we get into today's episode, we're just going to take a moment to thank our sponsor. The Forgecast is brought to you by Robert Weber Abrasives, the place where Sam and I get our 3M Cubitron grinder belts. If you'd like to be grinding with Cubitrons too, then give Rob a call at Weber Abrasives or visit his website, abrasives.on.net, and tell him that the Forgecast sent you. Yeah, so uh, we are... Very, very honoured to have uh, Udi on the show. Uh, Alex and I have both been uh, long-time subscribers to your channel, um, and uh, we've mentioned you on the channel uh, on the show a few times, so our listeners should be familiar with your name. And but, I've um, secretly you... been fanboying out. We've been talking for a few <laughs> minutes now, and in the background, he has his handsaw on the wall. <laughs> and... the, the, the handshake the, handsaw. Yeah. The maker in me right. is just squealing with delight seeing it there. <laughs> um, do you want us to give us a little bit of a rundown of uh, what you do and you know what you're interested in, Yuri? Uh, sure. Yeah, th- first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, I am... Uh, I'm Uri Tuchman, I'm an artist. <laughs> and I uh, uh, have a YouTube channel where I try to do art piece art pieces every couple of weeks and uh, document them, upload them to to the channel. And uh, yeah, that's basically what I do. And people who are familiar with his work may recognize him as possibly the most patient man on YouTube <laughs> uh, with some of his engraving projects. It's just uh, a, a staggering <laughs> level of patience. Uh, I, I doubt it. I, I mean, it might maybe it looks that way. Well, you do need some patience for sure, but I def- definitely would call myself as a person who doesn't have a lot of, well, doesn't have a lot of patience. Okay. I tell you what my problem is. My, my biggest problem is I don't know how to finish things all the way to the end. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're an artist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I can. I, at some point I'm like, Okay, I want to move past this. Let's go to the next step. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh... Yeah, so um, I first stumbled across your channel um, when you did uh, making uh, engraving chisels uh, and stuff like that, and I was looking into it myself. Um, and, I, you know, you've kind of started establishing yourself as kind of a, the, the home toolmaker uh, part of the side of your channel. With your, um, you know, like the singer, uh, <laughs> the singer sewing machine stand, which you've now turned into a lathe and a scroll saw. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, have you just found that, like, you've just been inspired to make tools as you've come across a, a project, or has the tool itself been the project? Uh, I think there are two answers to this question. Uh, mm. The one is that. Um, the more I work, the more I realize how easy it is to make tools, or sometimes even better. Uh, it depends. It, after a while, you also understand that maybe it, you would be better off buying one. Uh, it really, really depends. But uh, I think the 
second thing is that sometimes, and I think I see it in a lot of channels and something that also happened to me and I felt like I needed to, to change my tactics, I would call it with uh, uh, quotation marks, uh, that at some point you start to make uh, your projects to the channel become uh, tools to improve your workshop. Mm. And you mm. seem to get sucked into this kind of wormhole, which is fine. Uh, there's no problem about it, but that's not exactly what I, I wanted to do. And I've realized that in the past, like three months, four months, I'm just making tools to make other tools. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so at some point I've realized, okay, okay, I need to, to shift. And I have enough tools in the shop to do a... a uh, standalone artworks or, or things that I uh, have a, an our external purpose rather than to help me in the shop. Like that beautiful astrolabe that you made. For, yeah, exactly. For as an example. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or absolutely. The, or the tapping machine, which I, I really liked. <laughs> <laughs> I think it even was like the second project that, I, that I've made. Yeah. Really cool. Well, actually, it, it brings up an interesting question. Being somebody who engraves a lot and does such a good job of it, um, have you ever, do, or do you have thoughts on the use of an electric engraving machine, um, what, the gravers that actually uh, do the hammering for you versus doing it by hand with a chasing hammer? Uh, sometimes I think about it, but uh, I only think, Think about the uh, the the what's it called the the air graver, the mm -hmm. electric one or the air one. Uh, if I want to make really heavy cuts, so recently I've bought a micro motor, uh, which is uh, like a Dremel tool, but like yes. much faster, weaker but faster. At any rate, uh, this really solved the pro not the problem but the my desire to make really heavy relief cuts in the material. Right. Right. And sometimes I can see that the air graver can do what the micromotor cannot do, which is like sharp, sharp angles. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, using the hammer and graver for me is, is much more, it has more benefits in my mind. Uh, yeah. One of them is the just the position, the posture, to work with a hammer and chisel. I find it more soothing. I find more, uh, not that I've tried an air graver, but I, uh, in, in a way, uh, I, like, I like the chiseling action. It could be argued that it puts sort of more soul into the piece because it's, it's had a more personal touch. Absolutely. I think it's even more than that. I think once you... The, the tool really determines the, the, your approach to the project. Not approach, but what uh, project do you want to make? And what I mean by that is, is the limitation of the tools is what determines your creativity with this project. Uh, and if you are, uh, and if the hammer and chisel forces you to be creative with its limitation, then 
that's why that's exactly why those engraver engravings centuries ago looked the way they Then your approach is slightly changes because now you have ability to do other things, and so um, so uh, well. I, I hope it makes sense. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But what I feel like is once I go to an air graver, my my uh, aesthetic approach would change, and what I can tackle as a project would be different. If, uh, I'll give a much stronger example. For instance, if I has a, had a laser cutter, I wouldn't try to use the laser cutter to to make a, a, a how's it called, a cantus leaf, in, you know, a, yep. a Renaissance uh, type yeah. <laughs> engravings. No, if I have a laser engraver, I would do uh, something that the laser a laser cutter was meant to use because it has it can do other things and more yeah. you know you always yeah. need to challenge the machine machine's limitations i feel sure it's, you're always um, pushing the uh, pushing the envelope yeah it's very much something that's it's found in blacksmithing quite a lot because there's really very little that can't be done with just heating steel and hammering it and and hot filing it right. um but you could also just cheat and take the a, a blocky piece of steel to a grinder and just remove steel down until you get the shape that you want um uh -huh. but it's kind of it's cheating the artistry's gone it's um it, it yeah. you still get the same end result but it's kind of it's kind of cheating really i always ask the question what what the cost not the cost and benefit but what i mean by that for instance uh you can ask the same about drilling holes right and i can drill holes and in the beginning i just, i used to drill holes by hand with the, this kind of crank mm -hmm. yep and I'm drilling and drilling and I hate myself and I don't want to do any holes anymore. So I bought a, I bought a power, a, what's it called? Cordless drill. Okay. Yeah. And so now you ask myself, does it, uh, so now I'm not, you know, a pure Puritan, um, you know, no, no power, no technology kind of craftsman, but does the actual power drill changes anything, anything? Does it make the holes look different? Does my approach to the work differs? And I think it, it doesn't. So in this case, using a, a, an electric drill is, uh, is beneficial for me. It doesn't take away from my uh, spirit of the work because it well, makes I mean, the most, especially if, if, yeah. if hand drilling them was killing your passion, then and you can say and you can rescue that passion by speeding up absolutely. that process with no difference, then yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and also so many times I had to scrap uh, a piece because the holes were just inaccurate and weird and wonky. It depends. You cannot say the same on woodworking. Woodworking, I, I forgot the name of this tool, but uh, this cranked. Uh, the bit uh, and is actually yeah the, exactly that's actually very very beneficial has a, a big advantages over a power drill mm. so uh so it really yeah it depends i i even use a, a bracing bit for for a lot of small holes uh when i'm when i'm drilling even in metal I, when i'm drilling you know sub two millimeter holes i tend to use right. a, a bit and brace when i'm wanting to drill very fine controlled uh depth Oh, interesting. So, okay. Yeah. 
But I you, just find you, it more you, can't, you can't beat the control that you have. I mean, right. a power drill will get away from you so quickly. That's, a, that's also a very good point uh, on the air graver, I, I would say. I would think. Mm. Mm. Yeah, one tiny slip and you can leave a line where there shouldn't be a line. Yeah. That being said, I have done that with I have done that with an engraver as well. <laughs> I have you, you have a, a power one or, or by No, you? I don't, no. But um I with the with the hammer and chisel I've I've slipped out of the cut and done a nice large gouge across the top of my work. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine, I'd imagine as a blacksmith, it's much more natural for you to use a hammer chisel engraving rather than an uh, air graver. Even though I've actually met a guy, I think he's uh, um, ZH Fabrication, I think he's called. Oh, yeah. hammers, some hammers yeah. and he engraves them. And, and I met him at Maker Central and told me he just bought an air graver and ex- told me a bit about his experience with it. Uh, he says it actually is very difficult in the beginning. You expect it to do its own thing, but it does take some time to get used to it. A lot, a lot of the work that Sam and I do is with sort of like a Dremel tool, um, a bit like the the micromotor that you you were talking about, right? Um, yeah. with, with with carbide burrs, and um, excellent for carving on steel with. But um, it's like you said, there there are shapes that you can't achieve with a carbide burr that a graver does naturally. And if you want that look, there's nothing that beats the real thing. Uh, true, true. I mean, there's sometimes also, you know, I'm sure you know this feeling when you make one cut and it looks perfect, or you ma- and then you make another cut and it looks wonky and crappy and you try <laughs> to correct it and it takes hours to try to make the same quality. And I sometimes I feel that... Uh, uh, the Dremel tool um, is uh, can have hard time doing what a graver can do in one line if you get yeah, it no. right. Uh, and uh, a Dremel tool is is a lot about uh, you know finicking with the with the lines and get it uh, accurate. But at the end of the day, they're not exactly meant to uh, replace one another. I think. And I think yeah. w- one of the important parts, uh, one of the one of the things I've really enjoyed about your channel, Yuri, and your approach has been one thing that we get lost in in blacksmithing, especially, is that we come from a craft that was originally industrial. You know, we most blacksmithing from you know even 30, 40 years ago was all train manufacturing. Yeah, it was train bit manufacturing right. and you know manufacturing large um, machinery and stuff like that. So. You know, we, we come from this industrial background and these days there's still a little bit of that left over in which people believe they have to be uh, more productive than creative. And one of the things I really enjoyed about your channel is that you focus on the art. It is very much an art form and all of the tools you make have some form of art involved in them. And that's something that I really, really enjoy because it's it's pointing out the importance of perhaps not being the most, you know, kind of quick to process, um, but taking that little bit of extra time to make it beautiful and functional, uh, as Alex always focuses on. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we can't compete with, you know, mechanical manufacturing, you know, in knife making or in anything like that. We are artisans now, just like you yourself are an artist. Uh, And so having that, you know, approach of maybe not taking the easiest route and using the mills and the lathes and all that kind of stuff 
that we might have access to and making it our own and having those fine detail kind of mistakes if you want you know those little <laughs> the little wiggly lines in your engraving occasionally uh is kind of a bonus in some aspects it shows that it was made by hand yeah yeah i i see what you mean i think um uh, let me think about it. Like the the imperfection marks, like the beauty of imperfection marks. That's a good. It's a big question because it can be seen in every height of uh, techn- technological advancement in a way. But mm. the, the the for yeah for the more handmade you go, like you walk, um, the more aesthetically pleasing are those mistakes or imperfections i would guess uh, something, <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know exactly what i'm uh, um, trying to say but what i really um, enjoy about blacksmithing is that the hammer marks uh, on a on a blade on uh, the iron always look incredible they always look really great in the end mm. uh, and uh, they never seem to look as as mistakes in a way they always you it's very desirable mm. i think it's it you can compare it to maybe if you if you make a round corner on a table a wooden ta- a table and you can round it over with the router bits or a sandpaper or you round it over with a hand plane and then you see very very thin uh, straight lines on the edge of the of the the table and and it does look there's something very attractive about it i think absolutely yeah, yeah. The, and i mean it, it doesn't have to be an imperfection in that it makes it uh not functional or that it makes it you know less aesthetically pleasing it's those small marks of like the handmade aspect that uh, i think a lot of people enjoy you know the the, the slight facets from a hand plane finish uh yeah. or the hammered finish of a blacksmith's project it's yeah, quite a deep it's... irony, really, that the pe- the things that people see on a handmade item and think, oh, that's amazing that that is there because it shows me it was handmade. Somewhere guaranteed there is an artist that is massively frustrated that that thing was there. Absolutely, <laughs> every time. Every yeah, time. The but I think that's the key. Going, ah. the, the key is that it's very tricky because uh, I think to approach a certain matter as in or, or an art piece and say like oh it's semi-finished but it's fine because it looks handmade is actually the wrong approach your your approach <laughs> needs to be i need to make this proper and good and whether you want mirror finish or not that's a different topic but uh, you should you should look for uh, what i'm trying to say you should try to make a piece perfect or close to perfect and not try to make it uh, look imperfect because <laughs> yeah. then because then a, um, we're good to note from, yeah people notice that a, people notice that yeah we brought up a quote on this show before from bruce lee actually he said perfection is not meant to be reached it's usually just meant to be aimed at absolutely that's a good one yeah. Yeah. try yeah. and get there absolutely try but don't expect to reach it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I've said it on the show a few times that I haven't I haven't made a knife that I have been happy with yet. 
you know, <laughs> like 100% happy. Like just when it's leaving the shop, I there is nothing that I would change. That's not yeah, to say that's... that I. That's not to say that I haven't made stuff that I was happy to sell. It's just more that I've never been 100% happy with how I performed on anything that I've ever made because there's always one thing I could have done better. And I think that's kind of the curse of a perfectionist artist is that we're always seeing the flaws and never the, <laughs> never the positives. I, I, I'm really happy that I'm not, I don't consider myself a, as a perfectionist at all. Because uh, uh, I really easily can let go in the middle, like I said before. So I, I wouldn't call myself, for instance, a perfectionist, but uh, I totally agree with the insatisfaction. It's like, okay, I can do it could be better. I can do better. This is not, it's not there yet. It's not that, but it's, it's very important to have this feeling. It's very important mm. to, I, I think, I don't remember who said it, but it's very dangerous to be satisfied with your work. <laughs> uh, because okay. once it, once it does, your art dies. Always yeah, you won't, you won't seek to improve anymore. That's yeah. it. You got to pursue improvement always. Uh, Hoxai, what's his name? Yeah, Hoxai, uh, the the designer, designer. The is uh, how should I? The painter who made the wave, the Japanese print. Oh yeah, the wave. He said, I think he quoted uh, a quote from him or something. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it says like, when I'm twenty, when I'm thirty. Anyway, at the end he says, when I'm ninety, hopefully I will make my uh, uh, masterpiece or something like that. Yeah. Die happy. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Well, I've I've noticed in a lot of your work it it sort of um draws back to the sort of absurdism style of art um from years past. Do you, is is that a, a, a sort of a, a history part of history that you get a lot of inspiration from? Uh, or where where do you find your inspiration for your work? Because it is it's so largely different to anything else that is on YouTube. Um, I well, I think it's very noticeable that I'm very inspired by uh, Leonardo da Vinci, of course, and uh, Renaissance course. man, and uh, and I love love paintings uh, from the late Middle Ages to Renaissance, Baroque, and all of that. Uh, as well as Greek sculptures. Anyway, I uh, I think it comes from kind of. I think my work can be summed up, which is uh, may, might be a sin, <laughs> but can be summed up to a degree by uh, my romantic romantic idea of being a, a, a Renaissance man, inventor, painter, such things. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, to be and and that to be clashed with reality that the world doesn't need this kind of man anymore, and the outcome of that is absurdity is is in uh, purposeless machines and purposeless items because this is kind of they only can live in the art world they cannot live in actual uh, people don't need a new mechanical geared <laughs> thing magic, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I think that's kind of the crude way to describe what what my uh, approach is art wise. So it's almost like a, a form of rebellion against 
um, mass production and 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 the the killing of of what used to be a part of life, the artistic way that used to be very much a part of who admired whom. Yeah, I think to a degree, I, what I can say right off the bat is that um, we tend to for we forgot in a way how uh, how easy it is to to fix things ourselves how easy it is to make things ourselves yeah and uh, how and we forgot quality to mm. uh, really enough i think nowadays with especially because of youtube and the internet and all of that we seem to get back to it because people know to say yeah was like hey i can i can make a stool by myself uh, of course, you do need some tools. If you don't have any tools, so it's not fair to say to anybody, hey, just make it. Because obviously not everybody has chisels and hammers and workbench and all of that. But uh, I think it's more general than that. I think uh, we've come to realize, I think I, people nowadays come to realize more and more that uh, I think like Alex still says, I don't know if it's his quote, but uh, he says, uh, buy once, cry once, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, a, that's an it's, old very it's very true within crafting and outside of crafting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it, was, so. it was a very popular kind of European uh, ideal. I know my, my parents and, you know, my, most of my family coming from England. Uh, a lot of the older generations would say, you know, like they'll buy a pair of brogues and that should last them twenty years. These sure. days, you buy you buy a pair of shoes and it's supposed to last you maybe a year. <laughs> you know, like um, yeah, there is definitely a, a, a move. There was definitely a move away from that, but it's really good to see uh, channels like yours and mine and Alex and and all those guys' uh, channels kind of bringing back that that homemade and that um, made built to last kind of attitude. It's really good. Absolutely, it's, and I think. What I love about YouTube so much, and why actually I started, and all, and all of that, is that, for instance, with engraving, I was like, I cannot. It's like it's a huge world, and it it is a huge world engraving. Oh, yeah. uh, to be a, a ma engraved master takes years and years, and I'm really really far from that. But uh, you, the, I think what a lot of people have, and I have especially, and still is being discouraged by things that seem so far away from you. And so I give you just a stupid example, but I think it's so, it's so great. Talking about uh, brogues, I, I really love leather shoes. I have leather shoes. And uh, I really destroy them. I cannot keep them uh, very, very neat. <laughs> and recently I've, I've seen a few videos became more popular about restoring shoes and taking care of them and things like that. And I was like, no way, this, I cannot fix shoes. I cannot do anything like that. I can only put maybe some cream on it. And then you see it and it's like, again, it's actually so approachable. You know mm. what I mean? It's so, Very it's right it's there. Like, it's like fixing cars, you know? There's a lot that you can actually just do yourself. You don't need to go to a mechanic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sho shoes are just like a car, you know? It's, it's, you just learn <laughs> the ways of the shoe and all of a sudden when you understand it. And that's the thing, it's the lack of... Uh, Sam and I have talked about this before. A lot of people ask what, and they'll ask how, but they won't ask why. 
And as soon as you understand the why of something, all of a sudden it starts making sense. The, the, everything, the, the way it's pieced together, it suddenly becomes, you see the whole and, and you, you understand the entirety of the thing. Absolutely. I think, but what do you mean by why? Like why? Well, why, uh, why a stitch is done in a particular way on a pair of shoes? Why right, it's shaped right. this way? Because knowing that, if you're going to make a pair of leather shoes, for example, if you've been studying leather shoes and you're a fan of leather shoes, you would just know that they always follow a certain pattern, but you may not know why. You just yeah. know that they do. So if you were to go and make a pair of shoes, you, you, you could either just parrot what everybody else has done and copy it because that's just what's done, or you can understand why. And as soon as you understand right. why, that's when you can start to improve it. Absolutely. And you need to get familiar with it. Yeah, I mean, perfect example is, uh, you know, your work with cogs and, and, you know, the machinations and stuff like that, making automatons and stuff. I imagine that you've you found out why cogs work the way they do, not just how, but, you know, like why certain diameters right. work differently and stuff like that. And so understanding that why allows you to then make those, you know, automatons. You and can, the, you know, you can extrapolate the idea. Yeah, whereas if you only if you only learned how to make a cog, then you could only make that specific, you know, machine whatever you learned to make. Sure. Um, so I, so I understanding the why yeah. is important. Mm. Absolutely, I think. I think uh, a lot of I think that's why exactly it is quite important many times to to try to do a thing from zero from scratch. Mm -hmm. uh, because when once you've made it, it's you have it, uh, yeah. and it's in your mind. It's like learning languages or things like that. You know, once you start, once you have a, a need or you created the need to use it, you'll never forget it. And it's a bit mm -hmm. like if somebody was to come in and steal everything that you had, or your house burnt down and you lost everything, they can't take what's in your mind. If you can make it all, you can do it again. Yeah. It can't be taken from you. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful part of the craft, really. Um, and it it kind of it there's sometimes that there's a need to add, and it's why your channel's so appealing and always has been so appealing. The world needs more silly. It needs more <laughs> laughter. It need it needs more smiles and things done just because they're funny. Um, a lot of the things that I've done in the past have been inspired heavily by Rube Goldberg. Uh, I, I yeah. love making things unnecessarily complex just because it's it's fun and it's silly and there's <laughs> there's, there's no reason not to and it, it's it's sort of led me to your channel because that the like I told you earlier the, the first video I saw was that mechanical pencil unnecessarily complex and <laughs> it, it just I was drawn to it immediately because I thought there's just so much work in this. Just it's a mechanical pencil. That's all it is. <laughs> but at the same time, it's this incredibly complex, beautiful thing, all meshed, working together, engraved, and it because wasn't. there's <laughs> because there's no need for it to be that complex is exactly the reason that it should be that complex. Because it, it's there's otherwise that thing would never have existed. Yeah, yeah I think I see. This, um, the pencil is a very good example of trying to reinvent something in a way, even though this thing existed already, right? Mm, is yeah. like, how can I make it with what I know and what I work? 
And obviously, those the how it works is complete. It's preposterous, you know. It's like it shouldn't <laughs> be like that. But this is, it's fun. I think it's a fun exercise. Sit down as like if I were to make this now with what I have and what I know, how would I do it? And so I would put a pulley there and a wheel over there and That's, a lever. And I, this is how it should should go. And I, I find it I, very. It was really fun that's it. I find it very interesting that it kind of speaks to the magpie part of our brain. That, like, even though it is preposterous and, you know, the design is completely wacky, I, I you know, go into the comment section and I myself am, am the same and so many people are like, oh my god, I want that. And, you know, <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. I want one. <laughs> you know, Because I imagine uh, it's I, uncomfortable to hold. It doesn't <laughs> probably doesn't write yeah. as well as a normal one that you could just buy for, you know, a euro in the store. But it's it, at the same time, just desperately want that thing because it's so cool. <laughs> the, yeah, the, problem, the problem that I have with it, I, I really like it because it symbolizes uh, my, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, journey. exactly. Roadstone. Yeah. And uh, the problem is, is that I know positively that I would make it so much better now. And so, <laughs> and so I it in a way annoys me a little bit. I don't like it. I don't like the engraving looks ugly to me, the polishing, the work, like, oh my God, it looks really crappy. Uh, and so it's very difficult to, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, be, that being said, I mean, I think that would be probably your highest viewed video yet if you were saying, you know, revisiting the mechanical pencil, <laughs> you know. Maybe. I want to actually revisit the, the backward scissors. That's oh, the one yeah. I want to do. Because I feel like, especially for, for you guys at Blacksmith, it needs to be from proper blade material, uh, high carbon steel or something like that. Yeah. Uh, to be actual real, uh, well, I have now, no idea. Now you know a couple of blacksmiths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's Australian. Yeah. <laughs> that was the video of yours that I introduced you to my wife because she uh, does a lot of sewing and the seamstress work. And uh, I showed her this. And she just looked at it and goes, what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I really feel like I need to make scissors that are actually dangerous. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway. If they're not dangerous, you're not having fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's part yeah. of blacksmithing. Yeah. I, I've always been, ever since I was a very small child, fascinated with machines. And the, the more complex the machine and more intricate the mechanism, the, the better. And one of the right. things that has inspired me from the moment I saw it, I must have been about four when I first saw it. And I was fascinated and I've been fascinated since is an automaton called the Writing Boy, I think. Uh, it's a yeah. programmable machine that allows, yeah. Um, and I... I man like you must have been very familiar with that by now um do you have a dream project like him that would uh be the, the ultimate thing to work on if money were not an, uh, were no, no obstacle in time were no obstacle what would be the thing that you would make um ah well like something like that like this automaton like the writing boy oh, potential. that that would be for me if I, if if that would be my dream project to actually ah, build that but. Ah, i get you what would be my dream project if there was no money or time limit or what have you it's mm. a good question uh definitely the automaton idea is definitely up there make some sort of robot 
but uh, the, tell you what, I don't have anything on top of uh, my head because my head all the time like think of new ideas that are within reach. You know what I mean? So yeah. now I all of a sudden have to think limitless is uh, quite <laughs> challenging. Uh, definitely, oh, but I... definitely uh, automatons for me, like you said, uh, you should really check out. There is, I think, even on YouTube, there is a sh- small video showing it looks like a piston, but it actually is a small bird automaton. It uh, uh, from the barrel, from the. Uh, oh yeah, I've seen that, and it's uh, they keep it in a glass jar, and then the birds sing. Exactly, the bird sings yeah, and moves and tweets. And this me when I saw it. And the thing is, though, that these automatons that were made by watchmakers uh, were, you know, their side projects in a way, most of the time. Maybe sometimes they were commissioned, I don't know. But there were like decades of, of, uh, of decades worth of, one, of, uh, of time working on them. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so they worked on it for, for a long, 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 long time. Uh, as a side project, from what I understand, that they were kind of like this project to show off their skills and things along those those lines. So you're uh, saying that there isn't uh, between videos, there's not some sort of life-size steam-powered human made of brass that's fully engraved <laughs> that you're going to reveal one day that you've been working on, just, you know, what? an hour here, good, an hour there. That's a good idea, huh? <laughs> the problem is I cannot work on such a long project because I I improve every day I improve my skills so after a while I'm like okay I need to start this over from, from the <laughs> yeah. beginning you know yeah um, but I, I did enjoy your uh, your little self portrait automaton that was that was quite cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just... I really like, I like it as well but but that's also because it wasn't it's the last one, so I'm still proud of how it is. Maybe in the year I'm not going to be. But uh, we'll see. I, w- I was waiting to see what that tiny hammer was going to be used for. <laughs> the what? The, the tiny time. hammer that you made. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, even though it's uh, relatively to, this, to the piece, it's a bit big still. How is it? Really? Hell, I, I, it's like a comical. <laughs> a size hammer for his size. It's like in the size. It's bigger than his you head. Have, you haven't seen Sam swing some of his hammers. When he, <laughs> <flat> <laughs> <hammers. Yeah. laughs> yeah. he uses some very big hammers compared to me. Yeah, some okay. days. Some days. <laughs> but um, with, with the videos that you do, I mean, we talked about. Um, I, I had assumed there was a lot of patience there, but it, it's um, yeah. it's still, regardless, it's a long process to do a lot of what you do, doing things with um, jewelers, saws and files and, and hand drills and things. Uh, how long does it take you to make an average YouTube video? Do you have a backlog or is it really, because I mean, you put out a new one every two or three weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Is it really just that two or three weeks it takes you to make one of these projects or are they sort of stacked up or? Uh, no, two or three weeks is about right. Wow, that's uh, impressive. Okay, thank you. Because m- m- most people are like, it looks like you do it in one day too, you know. Because in the video, <laughs> it's sometimes uh, pretty short because it's very snappy or whatever. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's a, a lot of work, a lot of work. But uh, I tr- the the automaton, the last one, I really ex- besides the hammer, the hammer I did previously for 
a different video, right? Mm. And the automaton, I... Ah, no, it actually took longer, sorry. No, I, I, had, a, uh, I had to travel for uh, like a family visit. So before that, I walked a week on it. And then when I came back, I walked an additional two weeks, approximately. Yeah. Uh, a bit less, like netto is, is less because I don't walk on it every day or things like that. Uh, but I would say, uh, but that one was one of the long, longer projects on average. And on average, I, couldn't, I can say uh, between a week, a week and a half full-time work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the longer ones, definitely longer than that, I guess. Uh, but I would say average is like 10 days, 8 to 10 days, uh, right. walking every day, if you're not, yeah. you know, compress yeah, yeah. it to on yeah. net yeah. walk. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. It's still, that's, still that's, quite impressive. It's very impressive. Yeah. Absolutely. They are small objects, I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Sam just finished a, a knife recently that took him, it was about eight weeks of work. About that. About that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was working, that was working every day. <laughs> but is it like uh, special steels and things like that? And yeah, it was, it was a, a fairly it's a complicated build. Yeah, yeah, it was a fairly complex build. It was a frame handled um, Muso buoy, which had I think like eighteen pieces just in the handle. Um, okay. <laughs> so it was it was a little bit complicated. All yeah, the but also line up perfectly and yeah, it's a lot of what really takes a long time is the refinement, mm. and that's where I think I uh, I let go a little bit, and that's what uh, helps me to do things slightly quicker. Because if um, if you were to do to do this correctly, like a watchmaker, yeah. it would take it would take uh, half a year at least mm. uh, to do things like that. And uh, I may have, I don't know the the automaton has only two gears, so. Not necessarily that long. I don't know. Lots of much more work in design, much more work in uh, layouts, and uh, and the thing is, I work. Uh, why I don't call myself? Uh, why I'm not so? I wouldn't call myself as a patient person because I don't work with plans at all. I just go fit one part to the other, uh, and so on and so on. I don't work with any plans, so I don't plan out anything. I just start working. If it looks okay, it's okay, and uh, and then make another part that will fit the previous one. That's that makes things a lot quicker. You've um, I don't know whether or not it's a a Freudian slip, perhaps, but you've mentioned uh, watchmakers quite a few times in this uh, in this episode. Um, is there a part of you that wants to make, um, especially with your hand cut gears? I imagine you probably follow the work of Clickspring. Clickspring, on, yeah. Um, have you ever thought of doing a, um, uh, some sort of aut- automaton or mechanical movement that actually has a, uh, like a clock-like mechanism that has a, a stored energy, potential energy and, and um, release wheels and things like that to uh, allow it to keep going on its own without being cranked? Because I know a lot of your projects uh, require human input. Right. Um, but going that next step into a, a mechanical system that, that uh, works on its own. 
Uh, I would definitely, definitely. I would like to have a, a kind of a winding mechanism uh, of things of that uh, that matter, and and I think uh, a lot of that has to do with my limitations. I think for that, at some point, uh, a proper lathe or at least a small one or a milling machine would. Uh, would make the difference. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I didn't tackle this. I probably, if I really think of tackling this and doing it with the, with the, uh, this uh, leaf spring and all this kind of stuff and click springs and and balance wheels and all of that, perhaps I can. But uh, I don't know. I'm not so sure. It's still. Uh, uh, I wonder if I should wait until I have a. Uh, little better gear but it sounds like excuses so i don't know <laughs> okay. I, I, was, I can't remember the name of it. i was uh, looking at the work of an artist who does uh, wall sculptures that are all done with um they stored energy and you you wind them up and then release them and it, it all it is is just um rotations and and uh floating balances and things and these things would he managed to make these mechanisms run for up to 48 hours just off uh, some wound up energy in uh, a rubber band um, just using a release mechanism and it was um, all done in wood there was actually no metal in them at all yeah. it's quite incredible you're not talking really. about uh, those uh, sand beasts how are they called the one no not, the... not, okay. uh, not strand beasts no although the they're phenomenal they are inc they just blow my mind yeah uh, they capture wind wind power and sometimes store it, and they can sense when they're near the ocean, and oh, it's just, oh, yeah, it's ingenious. amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love, I loved Adam Savage's build uh, <laughs> with the with yeah. the uh, with the tennis shoes on on the feet. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, just in this one, yeah. Just what he created with the leg movement is is phenomenal. You know, turning that rotational energy into a, such a beautiful step pattern. It's mm. phenomenal, yeah. He, yeah, I think he, he even says uh, it's like reinventing the wheel, and to a degree, it kind of, kind of is. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's why it's so uh, spectacular, I think, because it really is. That's something that he manages to take of, uh, like we said, like we said earlier, he managed to take something that is rather traditional in in, in invention, because everything along those lines were already invented and he somehow found another another way, way to, to approach such a simple uh, not simple but like a, a simple way a simple idea simple it was once put to me face. that uh, the sum of human knowledge is like the face of a cliff it's all it's carved in stone now and it's there but throughout the course of the day, the sun shines light on it from different angles and you start seeing it in a different light and that's where new ideas come from. Uh, yeah, hopefully, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> possibly, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's very tough. I think it's very tough to think. We as humans we cannot really think too much like you say, uh, uh, reality always, how, how do you say it? Reality always uh, um, takes imagination, imagination, like overpasses mm. imagination. Reality always, mm. because you cannot imagine what is not Doesn't there. Doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, 
so it's very difficult to to think of really purely true things and new things i mean not true things. absolutely uh, i mean i think i think you've got a really good process to it is to you know find a task that you want to do and then find out a way to do it uh and i mean that's where the mother of invention was necessity um and you know i mm-hmm. there are a myriad examples but i imagine that most of the renaissance inventors and stuff like that would have looked at a problem and said okay how do i solve this uh given what i know and they would you know and they just go through the process and i think um i the uh, the thing i really like about your art is that you kind of take that to the extreme and that you kind of go okay here's this process someone else has worked out how to do it how would i do it and can i make it ridiculous <laughs> right yeah what's the silliest possible way i can do this task? <laughs> that's it okay. and, and, that's- and some some of it is almost Monty Python esque in, yeah. in its in its looks okay. and in in its in its me- mechanism. I, I really love that because I grew There's up on Monty Python. So. It, it, yeah, I think the dryness and it it doesn't. Yeah, I know it sounds like a bad thing, but it's a good thing. The dryness of the of the humor or the idea is what uh, <laughs> is very very uh, central to it. I think. In a way, oh, absolutely. It, it absolutely is what keeps yeah. me coming back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I can't sometimes, count how many people I've introduced yeah, to your channel and they've kind of gone, it, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> yeah, but then they're hooked, and then they they That's come it. to you afterwards. It's like, "Oh, did you see that he did this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, sometimes it's nice to see something that, like you said, it's it's hard to, or it's impossible to imagine something that's not there it's always a a creation that's built off of things that you know exist um but working humor in i believe is the avenue that makes something new because it's the we were talking about the the mechanized world and things mass produced and all that sort of thing it's very serious the whole process is serious uh even if you were to take something that you buy at a joke shop that's made and produced in a factory somewhere that is run very, very seriously. But when you are creating something by hand so with, with such sort of purity of art, as you were saying, or doing it by, uh, with hand tools and putting, you know, for lack of a better term, putting love into the piece, you're able to inject your own personal sense of humor, your own views, and make something that is truly unique and different. And I, I, I think it's a testament to the fact that so many people have started following your YouTube channel that there is... It's feeding something that's missing from life now. Uh, uh, thank you, first of all. And uh, uh, I think, I think in a way that was because I come from an art background, contemporary art background, and uh, and I think that's my and I always were with when it comes to art. In the art, contemporary art field, I was always kind of the, no, I wouldn't say black ship, but I was like on the sidelines. <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, he's weird. He's, he's making actual things. Right? <laughs> and, it's, and it's not a criticism on contemporary art, right? <laughs> but, but he's like, okay. And uh, so I always kind of was, a, a, in a way, on a bridge between art and craft and and making and uh, uh, and I think at this point I feel like 
uh, I, I take the advantages, the, 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 the things that I liked in contemporary art, which are uh, rethink stuff, everything, you know, mm. take everything and rethink it. And, and what is it and why? And, uh, and how we can do this differently and things like that. All sorts of very general and abstract <laughs> questions, uh, but, but, but they're true in a way. And uh, I think that's kind of my approach and where I, I, come, uh, I come with that ideas uh, to a degree, I think. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Well, I think one of the things that um, I, I've always kept coming back to your channel about is I, I come from the, the kind of area of blacksmithing where I really want to make all of the tools that I use. Um, yeah. because I really like that idea of being in touch with the creative process entirely. Uh, it's why I watch channels like Clickspring and it's why I watch channels like Primitive Technology is because they take that to the, the next level where they're literally creating six different tools to then create another tool to create another tool, etc. And right. I, love, I love that aspect. And I, I love the fact that your approach to a lot of your tooling has been the same in that you don't just kind of go, oh, I have this problem, I'm just going to go to the hardware store and buy the tool. You kind of go, okay, well, yeah, I've got some steel, I've got, you know, I've got this idea, I'm going to try it. And you may not have the, the, the know-how or you know, the experience to get the perfect result, but you give it a try and you normally come up with a usable result, which is what I really love about it. And uh, I think encouraging, yeah. encouraging that attitude of kind of, find your own way without it relying on other people to make stuff for you is is one of my favorite things and, and the, uh, the fact that it's accessible i mean it, it, it the thing that really struck me when i first discovered it was that blacksmithing is fairly unique really and that it's it's one of the only fields on the planet and in history where the the people doing the, the participating in the field make their own tools there aren't that many others that that do it there's, there's very few um, but then here's you, you're not a blacksmith and yet you make tools and you do it with tools that are, you don't use mills or, or fancy mm -hmm. lathes and things like that. It's things that you could go and get, pick up at a, a flea market or a garage sale or, or something. You could buy them and start with just effort, patience, sweat. You can make the thing and then all of a sudden your tool collection's a little bit bigger. And then you can use that tool to make more things and that thing. And you're not a blacksmith. And so it opened my mind to thinking that it was always just blacksmiths that make their own tools and realizing that anybody can do it if they've got the mind for it. Yeah. I, Even I though I... I <laughs> sorry? No, no. Keep going. Uh, I, it's, I, I really feel like uh, this is the one lacking part. Uh, the one part that is lacking in my tool making environment is blacksmithing uh, this is something that i really wish i had available and i might there's like i think uh, there's a blacksmith shop pretty close to my place so i will try to talk to them maybe but uh, but yeah blacksmithing like you said is one of the only they actually it's they are tool makers right that's mm. what it's one of the only occupations that you can say that are tool Makers as a, as their job, not to for themselves, as j just for themselves, but for for that's the um, products that they make. They make tools, mm. and uh, woodworkers, not so much. I mean, maybe other tools. I don't know. <laughs> they normally come. To, they normally come to the blacksmith for their hammers and chisels. 
yeah, outside of yeah. outside of a wooden mallet, there's not much they can make, really. Yeah, uh, I've seen a, um, a Japanese a video in uh, in Japan that the craftsman, a Japanese craftsman, make uh, uh, wooden balls. But he actually also made uh, tools. He had a small blacksmith, uh, mm. blacksmith uh, like an anvil on the corner, and he so it was very convenient for him to also make the the chisels and the uh, carving. What's it called? Turning, turning tools, turning chisels. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's always it's uh, always comes back to the blacksmiths in the bottom of the <laughs> of the, t- <laughs> of the, the tool making pyramid. Yeah, the tool making. I just I can already I can already see it now a beautifully engraved forge with you know all the <laughs> hammers that are all chased down the side and yeah, carved handles. Yep. Yeah. I actually, um, it's it's funny because one of my favorite builds of yours was the um, the treadle operated scroll saw. Mm. Uh, okay. It's a, yeah. It's a, you know, like, I love scroll saws, and I, I desperately want one for myself, and I keep telling myself I'm going to buy one, and then I have to buy other stuff instead. But because um, I my grew up with my mum having a Singer sewing machine, treadle operated sewing machine, it's sitting in the corner forever. To see someone use it to out- retrofit to uh, make a <laughs> scroll saw out of, I was like, I don't know why I've never seen that before. That is awesome. <laughs> well, it's not. Uh, I I wasn't. Uh, I didn't coin the idea. It's not my. Uh, I think there were. I seen it. Seen other people do uh, similar things or the same. So it's not. I didn't invent this idea of using the sewing machine. Right. Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's possible. I, even though I have to admit, uh, the reason why I changed it to a lathe now, I, I converted it. I, I got rid of my scroll saw. Is that uh, I've noticed? First of all, it wasn't as powerful, really, to me. Like maybe because uh, of of the build quality that I've done with it, or how I transferred the energy, or things along those side, uh, along those lines. But at the end of the day, a good frame saw. Or Jolo so can do ninety percent of the work. So for me, in the end, it was like, okay, you know what? I actually don't. I need this space for maybe some other stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah the labels are pretty cool <laughs> too. Yeah, because they yeah, are the like frames. Like if it's for wood, there are frame saws. Uh, how's it called? Not frame saws. Bow saws. They yeah. are spectacular. They can do the cuts very, very quickly. Not as not as thinly as the. Mm-hmm. As the scroll can do it, but it depends what you need to do, I suppose. Yeah, I, I have a, both a bandsaw and a scroll saw, and um, it, they, they definitely have their strengths and weaknesses each. Yeah. Um, but the ability to uh, do curved cuts on thin sheet metal is, is um, essential, especially when you're doing sort of brass line handles for things like straight razors and things like that. You, you, you need to, doing that down by hand ah. is, it, it's, yeah, it takes but... a long time, but. You that's put a jeweler saw into the scroll saw, and that's why it didn't work for me because I wanted it mostly for metal. But it, for me, the treadle was a bit uh, underpowered. So if it yeah, was I... so a power power scroll saw, a good one, which I considered uh, actually buying, probably can uh, is very very beneficial for that. Absolutely. Mm. So um, one thing that we like to 
ask our uh, guests when they're on is um, a couple of questions. The first one is who has been inspiring you recently? The what? I mean, you you have inspired us a lot in the past, and we've talked about it on this show a lot. Our listeners will be familiar with you, but uh, who inspires you? Uh, so, like we said earlier, I really I don't think I would start the channel, my YouTube channel, without Clickspring existing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I didn't know him, uh, he really showed me, hey, this this is how you can make a a gear, a cog from brass yeah. uh, from brass, and you can like he just familiarized this uh, <laughs> uh, this world for me. So I can start doing it, and uh, that's why uh, he's so he's a huge was a huge inspiration for me, uh, and still is, of course. Mm. He's and the I lord of all makers, really. Sorry, he's the lord of all makers. He's the, the <laughs> king of makers. Well, it depends. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, uh, it's not a criticism against Clickspring, but he works in a very very specific way, which I don't necessarily. Do the same. I definitely don't do the same. We talked a lot about patience and per- and perfectionism, and he definitely is a perfectionist <laughs> and has a lot of patience. Yeah. And but his aims are different. So mm. I I think I'm more in the camp of Jimmy DiResta when it comes uh, to that, where like I approach a, a, a project without any plans, just start doing it and working my way into this project, never knowing how it will look like in the end. And a click spring, mm. no way he does that from the beginning. He's like, <laughs> everything is super planned out. He done three takes on it already. He knew six months then. ago what it was going to look like. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's different. But then it takes much longer. But you get different results and you get different things you want to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, when it comes to home machining, I suppose, and, and the closest to, I think he probably learned watchmaking. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so he's definitely the most punch uh, punch matter, <laughs> the most yeah. refined. And uh, um, what uh, you you mentioned um, before we started that there is a, 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 art, a music artist that you like to listen to a lot while you work. Yeah, uh, I've this. I think uh, one year ago I discovered her. Her name is Elena Rain. She made the okay. soundtrack for Celeste, the game, the two D mm-hmm. game platformer. And uh, I don't know. This her music is absolutely f- for me. My, for my uh, 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 taste is to perfection. Like she's absolutely fantastic. So uh, Lena Rain and I and my favorite is uh, the Celeste soundtrack. Actually, yeah, right. I'll cool. definitely um, have to have to link that so our listeners can actually um, discover her themselves. And you never know. You might you might have somebody else's. Uh, have helped discover somebody else's favorite singer. <laughs> That's it. Hey, no, she's so, not a singer. She she's a. I don't think she sings. Uh, instrumental. She's it, it, like a yeah, um, digital. Would you call it oh, electronic right. music, mostly? Okay. Brilliant. There you go. Well, if anyone's interested, in, anyone is if interested in hearing it, I'm sure it'll be on the uh, on the. YouTube and Spotify playlists yeah, in the very near future. <laughs> so unfortunately, we're coming up to the, the hour mark for the show, so we're, we're pretty much going to wrap it up so that the uh, the listeners can get on with their day. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> but if if people, for some reason, are not already following you, uh, whereabouts across the internet can they find you? 
Um, well, well, I use Your my YouTube name. channel, obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which uh, I can say, pronounce it, but I think most people won't be able to write it down from what I... We'll, we'll be linking it, pronounce it in the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but but yeah, also, just look for my uh, name. fairly regularly on Instagram as well. And so I try. I try. <laughs> uh, yeah. Once I a week, maybe two weeks. Yeah. Not so not like not crazy uh, <laughs> consistent. Is there anywhere else that you'd like to give a shout out to that people can find you? Well, so it was YouTube and Instagram. I think that's mm. fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, I um, have a website, but I don't know. I need to update it. So. I was having a look at it. I, I, I loved some of your lightsaber designs, and then all of a sudden, there's like a haunch of meat hanging next to the lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that's 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 perfect. That's exactly what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes deeper. They they were designed. Uh, uh, they were inspired by Yudaika. You know Yudaika, Yemen uh, Yudaika. It's Yudaika is basically Jewish silver silvercraft, silver okay. silver. Wall. And uh, which is, inspires me a lot. Actually, you don't see it in my products in the YouTubes, but it does inspire me. It's mostly silver, silver work from uh, up until today, but for many hundreds of years ago, and mostly in Yemen. Anyway, the, the history goes. So uh, I've designed those lightsabers on on that, on the right. uh, on the design of Udaika. Uh, oh, so that. that sounds fascinating. That's why I did also really, yeah, I liked the style quite a lot. It was different. I mean, the fan-made lightsaber designs is a very common thing on the internet, but um, it was very different to anything that I'd seen before. Yeah, uh, it, it's called, I think it's based, it's named filigree, it's silver filigree. It's based on the, right. like, twist wires and all sorts of, anyway. Mm -hmm. I also <laughs> really admired the fact that you took the time to build that tiny miniature oil pump set um, ah yeah yeah the oil pump that was when i studied in the art school i made those and these mm -hmm. are actually laser cut in the school there was uh, school had a amazing facility for, for all sorts of crafts and it had a, a laser cutter yeah so i sure. cut them in, i designed them in solid works and i cut them and uh, put them together Back in, back in those days, I, I was uh, mostly using machines and things like that. Handmade work, I only discovered after, weirdly enough, <laughs> I started uh, you, uh, working. You, you came to the dark side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> well, well, if any of the listeners want to check out some of the things that we're talking about on his website, um, you can go to cargocollective.com forward slash Uri Tukman. Um, we'll put the link to that in the episode as well, because some of the the pixel art and the sketches are just phenomenal you're, you're actually quite a, a talented artist uh, just some of thanks. your sketches are amazing thanks um <laughs> but yeah um that's that that about sums that up for this episode so if the listeners would like to find more of the Forgecast. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can ask us questions by emailing ask.forgecast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to find Sam, you can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Etsy, Redbubble, The Kitchen Sink. And you can find Alex. 
I go by Valhalla Ironworks and I'm on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Redbubble and Etsy and Patreon and everywhere else you can look. Uh, you know me, I'm like a bad smell. You can't get rid of me. Even TikTok. So, um, right. Even TikTok. <laughs> yeah. But I would like to extend a huge thank you to Yuri for coming onto the show. It's been an absolute blast chatting to you, mate. Yes. It's, um, thank you very much for having in- me. It's, it's lovely to get insight into the, the mind of somebody that I've been following for so long now. Yeah, it's been brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And um, to everybody else, we'll see you next week. See you, guys. Thanks.